There's a place of calm, there's a place of peace, it is within. There's a place of joy, there's a place of love, it is within. Welcome. I am your host, Dr. Suzanne, an integrative psychotherapist, mindfulness meditation teacher, and the creator of Quiet Waters podcast, nurturing stillness and sanity. I'd like to begin today by welcoming you to center in and to take a nice, long, deep breath, an inhalation, a pause, and an exhalation as a way of inviting presence to you in this moment, breathing in and breathing out. Feel yourself becoming more present, settling and centering in. Feel yourself welcoming this moment as we move in today's podcast, Good Grief. There will be a day in your life where you will meet sorrow, where you will experience loss, where you will experience uncompromising pain, and you will question why, only to receive no clear and comprehensible answer. It is in these moments we come face to face with our heartbreak, our sorrow, our loss, and we begin to grieve. Loss and death are as much a part of the human experience as joy and life. The Buddha texts refer to this as the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows in life. How then do we be with our loss, be with our suffering? And how do we bear witness, hold space, and support others as they experience their own suffering. Today, my guest, Dave Norman, is here to help us explore these existential questions on loss, suffering, grief, and ultimately finding meaning after loss, as well as holding space for others as they experience it. Dave has many years of experience in contemplative practice, and spiritual leadership. As a seasoned spiritual guide, mindfulness meditation teacher, and steward to the earth, he has held heart space for thousands of people coping with grief. In 2021, he and his wife, Kathy, co-founded Imagine Wellbeing, a nonprofit foundation with the vision of providing a welcoming community to inspire well-being in mind, body, and soul through classes, hikes, conversations, and gatherings. Welcome, Dave. It is a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Hey, Suzanne, great to be here. 
I always enjoy the many conversations you and I have had over the years, and I'm delighted that you've uh, chosen me to be a part of this. I'm also humbled to, to do this with you. So, so thank you. Yes, and, and I feel very grateful to you and for our friendship, oh gosh, over the past 30 years. So it's wonderful to circle back in on, on this platform, on this forum, and to have a, you know, a conversation from the heart and from, from the mind, and to offer that to other people who are in a period of suffering and, and questioning. So I want to begin with my first question to you. And as we begin talking about the experience of loss and grief on this one and only human journey, as Mary Oliver would say, can you share more with our listeners your story and how you got to where you are today doing this type of work? Yeah, thanks, Suzanne, for that. And I I love the word journey here because that's exactly what it is. And even as you and I are talking, I think that the journey we've been on, you know, 30 years ago, we were connected in, in, a, in a way, and then there was some separation just because of life and things and, and all of it good. And yet here we are back together again on this, this journey. And so it's just exciting. And wow, uh, I don't think you have enough time for me to tell you all about this journey, but I'll, I'll try to summarize it here as briefly and as succinctly as possible. And, but again, I, I love this word journey because I believe all of life is a journey for every one of us. And just that alone helps us to begin to, to get into this story, this, this conversation about grief and how we are with it. But very briefly, I, I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian home. And as a kid, you know, any of us growing up in an environment, we think that's, that's the norm because that's what we experience. And then as I developed and went off to college and, and, and more, began to question some of that and realized that some of it was what I would almost call, if not call, abusive in, in the mindset that was given to me and, and to how to see the world and how to see other people and, and, and making sure that you know, I didn't mess up because if I messed up, I was going to go to hell. And all of that was, in, in retrospect, was uh, not healthy in any way. And so I began to pursue on my own journey here, some of the others, and, and had uh, the struggles of that, because again, this was so ingrained in me that to see a different perspective was hard and challenging, and I even questioned it and somewhat afraid of it at times. And yet I stayed with that journey there to uh, come to a place which now I, I consider myself very open to all perspectives and and, and expansive in my understanding of the world and, and people. And, and, and yet it's taken, you know, I'm 66 this year, it's taken 66 years, this journey, and, and it's not over. I continue to learn things every day and continue on this path. And I uh, want to continue a, a lifelong journey of, of learning and experiencing and being and growing. There, there, there was no easy way here. There was all ups and downs and pain and grief like all of us have. And so that, that's, that's how I got here. It, it's uh, in what, two minutes, I'm telling you how I got here, but it obviously was uh, much more complex than that. Yeah, thank you for that. And I want to applaud you for having the strength and the courage to question, the strength and the courage to really examine your perception and your understanding of the world and say, wait a second, is this really what I believe, what I want to embody, or is there another way of looking at the world? which we refer to as the world view. So thank you for sharing all of that. And I think it's very helpful for people 
to stop for a moment and to pause and to think about what is the perception that you have of the world? How do you embody it? And is it your truth? You know, is it what resonates with you right now in your adult life? I was just going to add that, that I say that questions are the currency of growth. Questions are, I used to say it, questions are the currency of faith, and yet that word faith has baggage around it. But questions are, are the currency of, of a vital life and, and being in the world. As the, the world around us changes, we also change. We have to question some things. Oh, I love that word currency. I'm going to write that one down, that questions are the currency of life. That feels really significant. So, yeah, so it's helped yeah. me a lot. Yeah, it really has. Yeah. So even though we know loss is an integral part of the human experience, when we encounter loss or death of a loved one, whether we, it is expected or perhaps very unexpected, the experience is nothing that we could have imagined. Can, can you put this in context for our listeners? Yeah, that's, I think you've nailed it on the head here that it's, it's something that you, you can't imagine. Whether it's the loss of, of a family member or a friend that's 100 years old or a child, we're, we're never ready for it. And, and even though, you know, very logically, we think someone that's 100, we know they're going to die. And yet when that moment comes, there's something that comes over a person that is this, this real sense of loss, this, this finality and this grief that, that begins to, to happen. And to put it in context, I, I think, again, a very complex question in, in trying to summarize it here is, is, is realizing that this is an integral part of the human experience, as you said it, which right there says that this is a common humanity that it's unavoidable. We're all going to, to experience this. It's just part of life. And, and to be able just to say that, now that doesn't minimize, in a sense, the moment and the moments and days or weeks of pain that one might feel. But it does put it in, in a context of our human reality, whatever the loss is whether it's a loss of a job, loss of a, a loved one, loss of a marriage, loss of whatever it might be, it, it puts it in context knowing that we're all going to experience that. And, and so, you know, I use what, what I call the heroic journey and Joseph Campbell, I, I, I credit for helping me understand this. And, and that is that, you know, life goes on in kind of an ordinary way. And then boom, something happens. And as we're going through life and we go into this disorientation and it throws a, you know, a wrinkle at us, a, a wrinkle that, that's hard to get over sometimes. And it could feel like a boulder, it could feel like a mountain, but we have this disorientation. And yet as we stay with that disorientation, with the understanding that this is life, it is not a fun part of life. It's what we might even see it as a, a good part of life. And yet, you know, I chose the title Good Grief because if we stay with that, there's something good that can rise out of it, but it's not instantaneous. It's, it's not who knows how long. And, you know, these people that are more expert than me say that we all have our unique way, individual way of dealing with grief. You know, you and I could have something that we shared in grief together and you're going to deal with it your way. I'm going to deal with it my way and you may get over it quicker than me or me quicker than you. And we have to allow people that space to be able to, to grieve in the way they need to grieve. But that's that disorientation 
with the hope and, and the awareness that there is a new new day coming there is a new orientation there is a renewed view of life that we have because we went through this this loss this this pain and that that's the goodness found in it and and that's hard for us to get our minds around because i don't know anybody that likes to grieve in in the sense of of, of loss and yet that's how i put it in context and and try to to help people understand that again that's intellectual and yet the heart is there the feelings are there the emotions are there and we have to recognize that as part of the pain and and yet we can minimize the suffering by naming it and saying this is what it is and being with it and being open to it and being in community and and having some practices that can help us not suffer so much and just be with the pain so that we can rise up out of it. Yeah, I love the the phrase that you use, the disorientation, and I and I want to just expand on that for a moment. That when things happen unexpectedly, in particular, we could even look at you know the COVID nineteen pandemic, yeah. or when somebody we love you know dies fatally in a car accident, or there's a suicide. It it disorients us, it shatters us in a way that our mind cannot make sense of it. It, Our mind just explodes with, with questions or wonderment, and we could go into this period of chaos and spiral in the chaos, which is what we refer to in, in therapy is the disorientation then when we go into right. the, the chaos. And so as you said, Dave, you know, each of us, when we go to that place, will experience it in our own way. And as we begin to grieve, we will all grieve in our own unique way. And often, as I imagine, you may have gotten this question, people say, well, when will this stop? Or when will this be over? And there is no answer to how you do it, or when it will be over, or when the new orientation will finally arrive, because it is a part of the process on the journey. And Sometimes what I have said to people is we grieve because we love. Mm -hmm. We grieve because we have loved and we continue to love. And to put a time frame on the grieving process or the new orientation and when it will arrive, we, we can't. Does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. It makes perfect sense to me. And I often use the, the quote from Alfred Lord Tennyson. Are you familiar with that? I'm afraid with him, but not the quote that perhaps you're sharing. Yeah, I, share, I have shared this a lot with, with people here. I'm actually looking it up here online as we talk here just to make sure that I get it exactly right. Yeah, this actually was part of a poem that he wrote to a dear friend of his who, who died. This is one of the lines that, that happens to, to be, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Mm. And you feel that sorrow the most in those moments when you're, when you're feeling that, that grief. But yet to look at the experience of life that you had with that person, I mean, would you, would you want to give it up? And, and, and my experience and the ones that I have been, my own family, both of my parents have, have died and my brother and, and even a, a dear you know, pet, a, a black lab that we had. And in that moment, I, I would never give up the experience that we had there. And so it was better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. 
and I think that that is I'm kind of echoing back what you said. I think that is that's it. it it's that all those experiences of love mm -hmm. given as, as a gift. And yet at some point, because we're all human, we know that those are going to come in a sense of, of loss through the physical loss of, of life. Does that make sense? What I'm trying yeah, to say back yeah. to you? And uh, often what I also say is, you know, our hearts are meant to love. And because of that, our hearts are meant to be broken because yeah. we as human beings have these expectations and we hold on to these expectations. As, as we know in the Buddhist tradition, we say attachment. So when we love and we feel that exhilaration and that deep feeling of bliss, we want to hold on to it, we want to grasp it, we never want it to go. But that is not what life is about. We cannot be attached to that feeling, that person, that experience, the situation. And because of that, our hearts will be broken because everything is impermanent. Exactly. And, and what I've found uh, over the years, though, is that as both you and I agree on that, and, and not just you and I, but, but many, 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 many of the people have, have, have agreed with this and still agree with it. But in the moment of that loss, that's not what you say to somebody and and it, it comes across as insensitive and harsh and so you have to be able to to help people see that without maybe saying it in in that way you know what i mean oh totally i would yeah i i think you just entered into a really nice little conversation here about what do you say to people so i agree with you that in those times we cannot say that to somebody that's just had a significant loss or even, you know, a moderate loss that we can't go there right now because their mind and their hearts are not ready to hear those words. It is only way after when they're looking at meaning, perhaps could they hear right. something about that. But what, what do you say to somebody with all your experience and what have you found the most helpful thing to say to somebody when they have just suffered a loss? Well, my one word answer is nothing. <laughs> I have learned that listening is the best thing that I can do and have no, you know, off the top of the head response or, or some, you know, Bible quote or something that we think is, is going to help the person feel better. It, it makes them feel worse because I think they start to feel guilty. They're not feeling that or whatever. And so I think that what I don't think I know and, and myself and my own experience is, is that the best thing we can do to, to be with a person in that is just be and to listen because we're helping them to deal with their pain and minimize some suffering in a sense by them being able to be real and raw and share what they need to say about it because that's part of the healing process. And, and, and so when the, the, the Buddhist quote is, is that pain is unavoidable and yet suffering is optional. And what we want to do is help people minimize the suffering around the pain. And one of the ways we do that, a primary way we do it, is to name the pain and be with the pain and, 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 and name it for what it is and let it be and not yet not ruminate on it and say, geez, I don't deserve that. That's not fair. That shouldn't have happened to me. How, whatever we come up with these statements and we ruminate in that, that area and we just create more suffering for ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. I, having worked and, and working with people that have lost loved ones, I'm thinking of a couple of my clients that have lost their sons in their 20s through this opioid crisis, mm. and and they come back from the funeral, the service, and they are angry because somebody comes up and says, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. I know how you feel. It must be so difficult, which is the worst thing to say because exactly. you never, never know what somebody's experience of loss and suffering and pain is. So I too have learned in my wise years to say nothing, to just be present. And in that silent space, what happens is we are giving permission for that person to meet their grief, to be with the grief. And we hold space for them to be with that, which is, as I agree, one of the greatest things we can do in that moment. And it also allows people not to go into their cognitive mind, not to make up all these thoughts or all these stories about it, but to stay in the body experience of meeting their hearts, opening to their hearts and being present with that. Yeah, and, and that is so much easier said than done because we are people who like to fix things. And, and so we wanna almost feel like, if I don't say something here to help this person that I'm not being helpful, and yet we got to realize is that the most helpful thing we can do is listen and let them get to the place where they trust us to be real and raw and whatever they need to share about their experience is mm -hmm. helping them to we're helping them to heal by just having our ears open and our mouth yeah. closed yeah and, and it goes right back to you know all these mindfulness practices where we say in mindfulness it's not about doing it's about being and right. it is an there are easy words to say, but it's difficult to put it into practice. So what you're doing there, the gift is you're being with and instead of doing for. Exactly. Instead of doing exactly. for. So with that, what other mindfulness practices come to your mind when you are holding space for somebody that's going through a grief, whatever stage of grief that they're at? What kind of practices do either you share with people or encourage people or do with people to help them in those very tender, tender times? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Uh, let me just circle back just for a second here to say that one of the most helpful things we could do to one another before we're struck with this grief, this loss, whatever it is, is for all of us to have practices that prepare us for if we know that disorientation is inevitable in all of our lives to whatever degree that disorientation is, how do we get to that place that when we reach that disorientation, we're more, we're in a place of, of well-being that, that helps us to deal with it in a more healthy way than in a ruminating suffering way. And that requires practice before. It's like getting my arm muscle strong. I'm going to go out and do something with my arm. And yet I, that means I got to go to the gym and make it strong, knowing that I'm going to pick something up with my arm. Very simple illustration here. The same thing is true. We know that disorientation is going to come. And the way we exercise the, the body and the mind and the soul, all of it, is to have a mindfulness practice before we, we even arrive there whatever that is and there's a variety of mindfulness practices and 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 for me to answer your your question it's, it's that i have to be doing that practice every day 
Yeah, I say every day. Don't take that literally because there's days that I miss because of, of a schedule or because something happens. I get up in the morning to do it and something happens and it gets me you know, off track from doing that. But yet it was important that I did that thing. And so it's not a legalistic thing. But I have to have those, those practices to be able to walk with and to hold. And the other thing that was said to me a long time ago, I don't even know who said it to me, but you know, sometimes that happens and it just sticks. And that is that we can care for people, but we don't have to carry them. Mm-hmm. Care and caring are two different things. And, and again, because our, our nature, many of us, is prone to fix something. And so we, we want to carry, you know, if you're struggling, I want to carry you through this because you know, I'm stronger than you in that point or whatever. But then I can start to get weak because I'm, I'm carrying too much. I can care for you or anyone, but it's not my responsibility to carry you. Mm-hmm. It's to walk beside you as a caring, loving, compassionate person. I think those are really important. And the whole idea of self-compassion that leads to greater compassion is another thing that's really big for me in, in this because in this journey of life, we make... <laughs> you know, millions of, of, of mistakes or fumbles or whatever you want to call them, it requires us to have self-compassion for ourselves. Again, that's our common humanity. We're going to do it. And when I become more self-compassionate, I can be more compassionate with the people that I'm called to walk with. Mm. Yeah, boy, there's a few things that I really want to uh, comment on. And, and the first one is the wisdom of developing mindfulness practices now to really, you know, strengthen your muscle, to live life, to live life knowing that unexpected things are going to happen, tragedies and suffering and disappointments and accidents are going to happen. And how are we tending to ourselves to prepare for things on this journey of life that will happen. I think of nature as being mm-hmm. a wonderful teacher right here. You know, the circle of life, and as we watch and now we're moving into the season that's approaching of winter, and, you know, we're in autumn and the falls, uh, the leaves are falling from the trees, and, and we're, you know, seeing the birds are beginning to migrate, and everything changes in the cycle and seasons of nature, and that we need to learn from nature. We need to also learn how to go into these bare winter times where there isn't much available and sink within ourselves to cultivate the nature within, the season within, instead of going to the outer world and follow in this cycle of nature. And that I think will help us with our suffering and our grief. I know that you and Kathy are great stewards of the earth and are, you know, nature people at the core. Any other words about using nature as a way to navigate disorientation and to bring solace to the soul? You know, there's an old saying that, and again, this is out of the Christian tradition, but but the first Bible that was ever written was nature itself. That's where the, the supreme of the universe, the God, was, was revealed to people in, in the natural world. And they also saw themselves as part of the natural world. It wasn't like they're human beings that go out into nature. They saw themselves as, as part of that, which, which accentuates what you're saying here, Suzanne, about the connection of that and to watch the outer world, this natural world, the more than human world, whatever you want to call it, because it is 
it, it is a map. It, it's almost a mirror for us in our own life journey. For example, this fall, uh, you know, I'm looking out my window right now and the wind's blowing, the leaves are falling. And someone asked the, the question one time, well, why do trees lose their leaves? You'd think they'd want to keep them on to, to keep them warm during the winter. <laughs> and yet the truth is they have to drop because if they get a lot of snow or ice on it, it's almost like that added weight becomes unbearable. So they mm -hmm. have to let go. And there's a picture for us in our humanity is that we want to hold on to those things that, that whatever they might be, and yet we're causing more suffering by holding on because the weight becomes unbearable. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, nature is a big part of imagined well-being. And we, we find that, that uh, people not only love, they need to be connected to this outer world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm reminded, as you say, that of Matthew Fox, the uh, mm. Episcopalian priest who wrote a book, I think it's called The Original Blessing. Right. And he talks about, you know, the, the greening, the Mother Earth greening and the feminine in spirituality and how we started in this Earth Mother nature-based goddess kind of spiritual faith, if you will, you know, and then things began to change. But he really highlights that as well as the indigenous cultures all over the world have this nature-based spirituality where they watch the cycles of life and they watch the trees and the plants and the animals and the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun and learn from that and incorporate that as wisdom to live this human journey going back to the human journey and joseph campbell's work of right. uh, the hero's journey right yeah and, and even when you mentioned the green of the earth it, it makes me think that we see these leaves falling and it, it looks pretty desolate it really does it's just like wow those trees die and if you have a dead tree in the woods and a live tree that doesn't have leaves you don't know which is alive and which is dead because they look but what we know about nature is spring is coming and, and that's the new orientation that they're, they are going to, but actually they already have a bud on there ready to spring forth in the spring. The bud there doesn't go away. The bud is ready there as it goes through this disorientation of losing its, its leaves. If we want to call it that way, I don't think the trees see it that way because it's <laughs> part of the process, but, but it's all ready to move into this spring new orientation of the gift of life springing forth. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a great picture for us. That, that's, I think that's our human experience as well. Yeah, yeah. And I always have appreciated when I see art and I see somebody has, has done some kind of a template where they're putting a picture of uh, trees and the cycle of the seasons. Right. And it's a good visual to look at that and say, yeah, we're going through our own cycle, our own seasons at times. And circling back to another thing that you said, Dave, was the self-compassion. I find too, when I'm working with people that have, are in grief or experiencing grief, is to hold compassion for yourself because oftentimes the mind may say, well, if I only did this, he could have lived a little bit longer, or I really should have checked on this or the right medication dose, or I could have done exactly. this, or, or you know, the loss, especially I see this a lot in the field of suicide. Well, if I would have known or I would have gotten the cues or maybe I could have done something different. And we have to realize that that's our mind trying to make sense of the experience of loss or death. And we don't have the capacity to do that. We just don't have the capacity 
And our narrative and our story can often be self-blaming, guilt-producing, shameful. And the practice that we need to do, and Christine Neff does it so beautifully, is to sink back into our heart and to cultivate kindness and self-compassion and to feel that, to embody that, and to remind ourselves that we are human, we are imperfect, and there are no answers of shoulda, coulda, butta. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, kind of jokingly, we, we, you can, again, you got to be sensitive how you say this and, and when you say it, but you need to stop shitting on yourself, you know? It's, it's like we, we should have done that. We should have done that. And we don't need to shit on ourselves. We, we, we need to just just get to that place as, as, and it all takes time it's all different for all of this but moving into this kindness you know Kristen f has three three ways for self-compassion it's this kindness it's this mindfulness and then it's also realizing our common humanity and of those three common humanity speaks to me the most because i know that whatever i'm going through whatever it might be whether it's something with our children or even in marriage or whatever I'm not the only one that's ever experienced that. It's, it's experienced by every human being, and death is part of that. Grief is part of that. Loss is part of it. Our common humanity. We're all in this this human human uh, thing together. Yeah, and with that humanity is realizing we're all connected and that we all belong. And when we look at suffering and beginning to go into that reorientation, we can find meaning. And we can find meaning in our connection and belonging to one another in the greater humanity of the world. And, and I am reminded of, you know, Ellie Vissel, uh, as he has spoken on man's search for meaning, that there is meaning in all of our experiences. And when we are in grief, we need to find the meaning for us and what that meaning is. And often that meaning is returning us back to our heart, returning us back to the love that we have for that person, that situation, and for all of man and womankind, that the meaning comes in recognizing that we will get through this, that this will happen to everybody, that we will go back into our heart space and something at some day and time will happen that will give us meaning to this experience where we then can circle back and help others as they have their experience of suffering and loss. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's a great book written about this, uh, one of many, but it's called Teaming, but it's not like T-E-A-M, it's T-E-M-I-N-G. And it's, it's, it's subtitled, How Superorganisms Work Together to Build Infinite Wealth on a Finite Planet. And she does it for businesses. And, and, and yet it's true for all of our humanity that, that we're all connected, just as the, the trees, you know, the trees I'm looking out again at, in, in a wooded area here, these trees, they communicate to one another. They're not just, you know, trees side by side and, and, and alone. They, their root system, all the, the the stuff underneath in the soil is communicating and helping that forest, that woods to, to survive and thrive. And, and she takes the lessons that she's learned. Um, this is written by Tamsin uh, Woodley uh, Barker, and, and she applies that to our human life. And, and so I, yeah, spot on. Mm -hmm. I have one more question. I know we're running out of time, but as I'm thinking about all the space that your heart has offered other people as they're going through difficult times. 
on the individual. I also think of you holding space for the collective. And to those listeners that are not sure of that word, uh, the collective means holding heart space for all of humanity, that we can feel in our heart the personal heart space. And that comes in time when we can broaden the spaciousness of our heart and have that spacious awareness of suffering that is happening on a more collective or a global way. And again, we see that nowadays more than ever. How do you hold space? Is there a practice you do, Dave, for holding the collective suffering? The first thing that comes to my mind is, is I hold it with sadness, and I name it that way. There are days when I go out in, into the natural world, and I think, how could anybody want to destroy this life, whether it's insect life, animal life, human life, trees, whatever it is, because it's such a, a, a beautiful thing. And, and the unique experience that all of us have to even bring this into our, our being is, is we forget how, what are the odds that I was born on this planet and, and have lived up to 66 years of life so far and get to experience this. And, it, and I, I start thinking about it, it blows my mind that, that the chances of that are, are so small and yet it's happened. And so I get a real sense of sadness when I, when I, you know, hear the news and what we do to one another and what we do to this planet. And, and, and I try to have no judgment about it. And, and yet because of my, my human capacity and frailty sometimes breaks down and, and just say, I don't get why somebody's doing that. And that's kind of a judging thing without knowing more of their story. But I deal with it with, with naming my sadness and then moving into a gratitude of being grateful for what I get to experience and knowing there's only certain things that I can control. I can't control what others do, but I can control how I am and what I do. And often even offer this, you know, the, a loving kindness blessing to the life that I see. And, and be appreciative of that so that I can continue to experience it with an open heart. And yet not, I don't want my sadness to go away. I, I want to feel that sadness because that's a real bodily experience with the earth and the collective uh, for me. And, and yet I don't let it rob my joy. I don't let it take away you know, my, my great giftedness to be alive in the world but maybe it's even part of my gift back to the world to express my sadness and, and to be with it. Yeah, and what you're saying is so important is that all of our feelings are important and that when we're walking in nature and we're feeling that collective suffering or pain and we feel our sadness, that's really important because if we don't feel our sadness, we'll go into denial. And yeah. then we go right out of really being present with what is, and we stick our we can stick our head in the sand and all other things can happen. So it's important to be with the sadness. As I, I like to say, we meet the sadness, we stay with the sadness. And as we stay with the sadness, there's a space that can happen where we have a greater space to hold it and in that process, you know, a transformation can happen and we can go into a gratitude, as you well said, a gratitude of, of being thankful that you can hold and be aware of the experience and then offer 
a blessing or offer healing or offer some kind of goodness out to the world that perhaps somebody else can feel it in that moment. We have the sadness, we meet it with a gratitude practice, and then we realize this is humanity. This is our experience. And one other thing that you said when you were talking about, you know, why here at this time in my life, I was just recently at a, uh, a silent retreat and the leader had this little card out that said, all life matters. And on the card were all these bugs. And then right next to it were these little container cups that were there so that if you saw the spider in the room or you saw the ant or, or the beetle, the ladybug, that you had a cup that you could put that in and then take the bug and release it outside. And I thought what a significant practice that was to honor every single life as small and as large, and to respectfully show kindness and preserve that life by having something that we as a human could do with this little bug and, and to offer that. And I'm thinking of that, as you just said, about our life. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So as we come to a close today, I, I just want to say thank you so much for being present and offering your heart and your wisdom. Are there any other resources or books or quotes that you would like to leave our uh, guests with? Yeah, there's, there's so many books. I, I'm a Kindle reader, and, and that's because I, I have so many books that I'd have to have another whole edition built onto the house to have the, the books shelved. And so, and so I have so many books on my, my Kindle, but I, I tell you, I, I'm a, a Brene Brown lover of, of her material. She has a new book coming out at the end of this month called Atlas of the Heart. And it's really looking very exciting to read. Also, Kristen Neff is, has been transformational for me in her work. And I've even done a helped to lead a course on that as my own growth through that has, has just helped immensely. So, you know, not to, to belabor, boy, if, if those two people right there can just be really, really helpful. And, and to understand more of the hero journey, Joseph Campbell, you can't go wrong with Joseph Campbell and, and his work. And so, you know, there's, there's a whole list of, of books that, that I uh, read. The problem is I'm reading many of them simultaneously and that gets a little <laughs> Yeah, yeah, ditto, ditto on that. And I would uh, also say there's, uh, if you're going through grief, David Kessler, I've done a, a couple of, I did one workshop with him. He writes a lot about grief. He was the co-author with Kubler-Ross of many of her books. And he has a new book out called Finding Meaning, which I felt very practical and very heartful and helpful. And then, of course, we can look towards poetry and a lot of times we can find comfort in reading poetry and, and find meaning in those words. So I also want to say to listeners to, to turn towards those texts as well. And how can our listeners find you? You're going to be on my website soon. I'm going to put a picture of you in your bio. But how if people want to get in touch with you right now, Dave, what's the best way for them to do that? They certainly can, can email me and I can you me just to speak the email address here. Is that the best Why not? way to do it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's Dave N, D-A-V-E-N, at liveimagining.org. Dave N at liveimagining.org. Well, thank you very much. And as we close, I'd like to share with our listeners one of my favorite quotes. 
and this comes from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> if there ever comes a day when we can't be together, keep me in your heart. I will stay forever. Mm-hmm. So listeners, thank you for tapping and tuning in today. I look forward to meeting you again. Until then, may you be healthy and well. May you know your goodness. May you meet kindness in your heart. May you nourish stillness and may you nourish sanity of mind and heart. Thank you. I am Suzanne. There's a place of calm, there's a place of peace, it is within. There's a place of joy, there's a place of love, it is